Greetings to each of you in Jesus' name. It is a real blessing and a joy to be gathered once again with the people of God and to be encouraged in the way that we already have been. I hope we can continue that. Before I begin in the sermon, I'd like to thank you for the offering that you gave for Diedrich a couple weeks ago. We appreciate it very much. We're blessed by it. For a text this morning, you may turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'd like to begin reading in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now this is kind of supposed to be an exposition of the of this text this sermon is but uh it may be also somewhat of a topical sermon i'm not sure which it is i would um well i'll just read this and then we'll get into this sermon first corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of god be not deceived neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God." All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If I would give this message a title, I would title The Christian and His Body. Then Paul begins here in this text that we read with a list of the sins of the flesh. He, he talks, he, he says, uh, he lists these, these sins, sexual immorality, adultery, idolatry, homosexuality. He says that thieves, the covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, those people are not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's in verse 9 and 10. And then he says, in verse 11, that such were some of you, but now you are different. You are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of Jesus by the Spirit of God. 
And in verse 12, he says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. The Holman Standard Bible says, Everything is permissible to me, but not everything is helpful or profitable. Everything is permissible to me, but I will not be brought under the control of anything. Now, before we were Christians, we can identify with Paul's words here. Our bodies, its appetites, were largely left unchecked. The flesh did what the flesh wanted to do. A person who is living after the flesh, I was reminded of this yesterday, lives kind of like a dog lives. Yesterday, I was cutting up a deer out in my barn and whenever there's a butchering at our house, the dogs are always there. We have two dogs now, and and they were there. They were doing what dogs do at butcherings. They were looking and lusting and licking up gross things and eating whatever they could eat. That's the way that a dog lives his life. He lives by the impulses of its body. There's no restraint. There's no moderation. There's no inner compass to guide him. Sure, it can be trained to a degree, at least, you know, where it, it learns to restrain itself in a way. But you will never change the heart of a dog. A dog will always be a dog. It will always be lusting and eating gross things when there's a butchering. Now, thankfully, we don't need to be like dogs. Paul said, such were some of you, but we have been transformed. We have been changed. We can be washed and sanctified and justified through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can come to the place where our bodies and its desires are controlled by the Spirit of God. And even to the point, like Paul, where we not only deny ourselves of those sins of the flesh that he lists, but also those things that perhaps are lawful but are not expedient. They're not profitable for us. They're not helpful for us. Followers of Jesus should not have a reputation of being immoderate or excessive, even with things that may not be necessarily wrong. One of the fruits of the Spirit, you know, is the fruit of temperance, moderance, not too much of anything. And I believe Christians should be known to be moderate and well-balanced people. Temperance is a virtue that can be exercised in so many ways, so many practical ways in our lives. Um, food, eating, sleeping, in pleasure, in work, in money, in the things that we own, possessions, in our time, in our hobbies, all of those areas. And you could go on in that list, but each one of those areas in the life of a Christian, should be influenced by moderation and the temperance of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a key phrase here in this text, I believe, and that is in verse 12, where Paul says, All things are lawful unto me, all things, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. That, I believe, is a key phrase in this text and in this subject when we think of a Christian and his body. So my first point that I'd like to make 
from this text is that a follower of Jesus will not be controlled by his body. And of course, I have already expounded on that a lot. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, he says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. So for the Christian, the body is never in control. I shouldn't say never. It's an, it's a, uh, we understand it's a growing process for all of us. But the body should not be in control. Rather, it is in subjection. It is to be in subjection to an other force and to an other power. And that, of course, that is the power of the Spirit of God, which we want to talk about a bit later. My second point from this text is found in verse 13, where Paul says, Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication. And here's the point. The body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now just a question for you to think about. When a person is born again, is his body redeemed? Maybe I'll just open it up a bit. Is, is a person's body redeemed when he is born again? What do you think? Okay, but um, the question is, is the body redeemed? I think we all agree the spirit is redeemed and the soul is redeemed. Is the body redeemed? I'm speaking of a physical body. Okay, Leroy says he doesn't think flesh and blood can be redeemed. Is that what you said? Can be converted. Converted. Do you agree that it will be someday though? Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. They cannot inherit. I, I agree. I do not think that the body is redeemed at conversion, but I do believe we are promised a future redemption. And whether you want to see that as this old body being redeemed or this old body being done away with and changed and we're given new bodies, whatever it is, but the earth and the physical things, I believe, are going to be redeemed. It's not something that has happened. It's something that we are anticipating to happen. It's a promise of the future. Now, is the body changed at conversion when we are born again? Are we? Is our body changed physically? Again, I would say no, not really. A person's body stays largely the same even when he is born again. It's a spiritual born again. I know that some people say you can see it in the health of a person and and its countenance and all of that. But for all practical purposes, when we are redeemed and born again, our, our physical bodies remain unchanged. Now, are the fruits of the body going to be different when we are born again? And my answer to that is absolutely. They had better be. The acts and deeds that are expressed in the body are different after conversion, if they are not, if they're not different after a person is born again, there's reason to believe that there has not been a new birth. New birth means new life. And new life means new fruit. Okay, you cannot have new life without bringing forth new fruit. Any teaching or doctrine that says that a person can become a Christian and have a change of heart without having a change of actions 
of the body is a false teaching. The transformation of a Christian is a whole transformation, body, soul, and spirit. Now, one of the things that God does to a preacher is he kind of keeps giving us inspirations even after the sermon is supposed to be finished. And I got one this morning just when we were singing that song uh, before the sermon. We sang that song. I, just turn with me in your songbooks to chapter to number 451. We were singing this song, Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart, in my heart. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart, in my heart, in my heart, in my heart, in my heart. We were singing in my heart over and over and over again. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. Now, I was thinking about my sermon and this subject of the Christian and his body. And you know what I started to do? I started to replace these words in my heart with the words in my body. And I figured out that they fit right in there. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my body, in my body. Lord, I want to be more loving in my body, in my body. Lord, I want to be more holy in my body, in my body. Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my body, in my body. Now, you might take issue with that and say, well, that, that just doesn't, that's just not quite right. But I, I think, I, I'm going to say that I believe we'd better be able to interchange those words as true believers of Jesus Christ. It's got to be more than in our hearts. It's got to come out in our body. Now, we often use the diagram of the three parts of man. Uh, I've used the circle already with the three the three circles within each other, and you know we label one the inner circle, the spirit of man, and the middle circle, the soul of man, and the outer circle, the body. And so those those that is a good teaching aid, and it's it's a neat way of teaching these things. It's helpful to think about in that way. But I believe that we need to be careful that we don't take away from the wholeness of who we are. You know, the body and the soul and the spirit of man is really intrinsically connected. You cannot break those things into three nice little parts. We are connected. It's harder than we think to separate the spiritual and the physical. And many times it's a mistake to do so. And one of the things that always intrigues me in the scripture is how closely physical healing and spiritual healing are connected. Jesus, to the man who was sick of the palsy, when they brought him, they lowered him down through the roof, and he told the man, he said, take up your bed and walk. He also said, thy sins be forgiven thee. There was a connection there between that physical healing and spiritual healing. And I know that's that wasn't the case in all of the miracles that he did. James chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. We read this passage at every anointing service. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There is a connection between spiritual healing Spiritual health, physical health. Now, I don't want to make too much of this. I understand that we get sick as Christians physically. I understand that, and I don't want to make too much of that. Jesus corrected his disciples 
when they ask about the blind man in John chapter 9, they said, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus said, neither of these sinned, but that God may receive the glory. So sometimes we may also wrongly connect physical and spiritual problems. I recognize that. But I am saying all of this to make the point that being a disciple of Jesus means giving our bodies for him. Paul says right here, the body is for the Lord. Okay, the body is for the Lord. The transformation that takes place in our hearts is on the level of the spirit. It is on the level of the heart. But it doesn't stay there. It doesn't just... It needs to work out of our lives. It needs to work out from there into every part of our lives, including what we do with our bodies. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, I love this verse. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I I don't understand everything. I could that could probably be a sermon in itself, and I wouldn't be able to, to, to tell you what all of that means, but it's there. The body is going to we are we are when we are transformed by the new birth, by the by the blood of Jesus Christ, it's a whole transformation. It's not just something that happens in our heart. All right, my third point is in verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ. Our bodies are the members of Jesus Christ. Now, we just had our communion service last Sunday And I talked about this at the sermon at council meeting a little bit, how that communion with Christ means being in complete union with him. We are his. We belong to him. The words of the hymn we sing here. Heart with loving heart united, met to know God's holy will. Let his love in us ignited more and more our spirits fill. He the head, we are his members. We reflect the light he is. He the master, we the brothers. He is ours and we are his. This is speaking of the connection that we have with Jesus Christ. He is the vine, we are the branches. Without connection to that vine, the branches are going to be dead. He is the head, we are the members. Without the body being connected to the head, there is not going to be any life. There is a spiritual connection. We are not, of course, physically connected to Christ. So so then what is it that our bodies are the members of Christ, as Paul says here? And again, I think he is calling us our attention to the fact that when we become Christ's disciples, he gets all of us, the whole person, the body, soul, and spirit. The idea of Christ owning our bodies is all through this scripture. Verse 13, the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. The body is not for fornication, it's for the Lord. Verse uh, verse 19, ye are not your own, he says. Verse 20, ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify your God, glorify God in your body 
and in your spirit, which are God's. So there is a there is a divine ownership here of our bodies that we need to recognize in this scripture. <clears throat> now, in verse 14, Paul says, and God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. And I believe that he is specifically speaking here of the bodily resurrection, the resurrection of the body that we are anticipating as Christians. This is going to be a spectacular event that is completely in the hands of God. It will be a work of God. It will be through His power. It's something that God is going to bring about in our lives And for God to perform that amazing thing in our bodies where there's going to be a bodily resurrection and we're giving new bodies, we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye, the Scriptures tell us, for that all to happen means that God must have ownership of our bodies today. I believe that. I believe that this concept of our bodies being members of Christ means that our purpose here is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Just as the fingers, our own physical fingers and hands and feet and every member of our body, natural body, do what our head tells it to do. We function by our brain. The brain tells us what to do. We don't even think about it, but it does that. So we as the members of Christ do what our head tells us to do we are his members we are directed by our head now jesus is no longer here in the flesh he ascended to the father but now we are here to be the flesh and the bones of jesus here on earth we are to use our hands and our feet and our bodies to serve and to minister just as Jesus used his hands and his feet to bless others and to serve them and literally gave his body for others. That's what he did. Ephesians 5 verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. Jesus has now left it to us to embody and to personify his character and his being for the world around us to see. The world needs to see Jesus. They're not going to see Jesus. How are they going to see him if they don't see him in his people? They're not going to. They will only see him if we truly belong to him and if we remain connected to him. They will only see him when our actions reflect that we are connected to our head. We are being directed and controlled by our head. That's how they're going to see Jesus. When our bodies are members of Christ, the world will take notice. Now, in verses 15 through 18, Paul spends some time speaking about the sin of fornication. And I believe this, this term fornication could be Many translations use the term sexual immorality. I believe it could be a general sexual immorality that he's referring to here as well. And it seems like fornication, sexual immorality was an accepted part of the Corinthian culture and also seems to have affected the church because this isn't the only scripture in Corinthians where Paul addresses this. And by the way, the, the Paul 
uses the word body in the book of 1 Corinthians almost much more often than any other book of the Bible. The the word body is found in in this book. Not sure why, but it's, it's over and over and over again in 1 Corinthians. But verse 18, it tells us that we are to flee fornication because it is a sin against your own body. And I don't know exactly what that means. I wish I could tell you. I don't. If you have some insight into that, I would love to hear it. I've thought about it often. I can understand the spiritual and emotional damage that happens, that is done to a person through the sin of any sexual immorality. Now, the world wants us to believe that a person can engage in these things of debauchery and all kinds of immorality and not be affected by it. That's a lie. Sexual immorality will tear you down spiritually. It will damage you emotionally. And according to this scripture, it is a form of physical self-abuse. It's hurting your own body. Sexual immorality is a step-by-step, act-by-act destruction of everything that is good. When we understand that the people that engage in these things are slowly but surely becoming a shell and they're destroying their own lives unless they repent. And Paul teaches us here that even outside of marriage, in the act of sex, there is a union that takes place. That's what he says here in verse um, 16. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. Fornication is not a mere act that can be done and forgotten. It's just not that way. There's a union that takes place in the act of fornication. There's a union between two. It's a physical and emotional exchange that has lasting consequences. It's not something you can just do and walk away from and forget about. Verse 12, Paul challenges the Corinthians and us. He says, in my own words, how can you take your body, which is a member of Christ, you're connected to the vine, you're connected to the head. How can you take that body, that member, and make it the member of a harlot? God forbid, he says, that you should do such a thing. And we... And specifically, our bodies are in a union with Christ and we dare not break that union through this awful union of fornication, sexual immorality. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, Paul says this, he says, But be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath light with darkness, and what can... I'm I'm sorry, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness and what concord hath Christ with Belial or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols for ye are the temple of the living God as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. 
Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So again, our bodies are the members of Jesus Christ. We are in a union with him. That is a union that we want to be careful to guard and to protect and to keep. Fourth point from this text, verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? So we are not only members of Christ, we are not only um, the Lord, what was the first point? Our bodies are for the Lord. We are members of Christ and also our bodies are now a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. God has seen fit to, to use us. And these houses of clay, these tabernacles, if you want to call them that, He's, cho he's chosen that to be a dwelling place for His Spirit. Our bodies are His temple, His sanctuary. And that is an amazing thing, that God has chosen to make His home in us. We are made partakers of His divine nature, as Peter puts it. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's an incredible thing. I love the words of the song Eternal Father kind of into my hymns this morning. I'm not sure why, but just a few few lines from that hymn. And every time we sing it, it, it almost makes the chills go up and down my spine. And thou great spirit in my heart dost make thy temple day by day the Holy Ghost of God thou art, yet dwellest in this house of clay. Blessed Trinity, in whom alone all things created move or rest. High in the heavens thou hast thy throne. Thou hast thy throne within my breast. This God, who is so high and holy that we cannot ever comprehend everything he is, has chosen to dwell within the hearts of men and women just like us. That's incredible. Now, the Scripture teaches us here in this text and other places that this privilege of hosting the Spirit of God within us comes with responsibility. That responsibility is yielding our body to the control of the Spirit. The Spirit lives within us and again, then we live out of that Spirit in our lives. He's not just there because He needs a place to live. He's there to guide us and to influence us and to control us and to direct us in every area of our lives. He is now in control of our body and we no longer live by the impulses and desires of the flesh like a dog does, but we live by the impulse and the direction and the control of the Spirit of God. This dwelling place of God is to be a holy place. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. 
One of the definitions for the Greek word that is translated temple here in this scripture is the word shrine. It's also translated shrine in the Bible. Now, a shrine is a place or object that is hallowed by its association. So it's it's a place where um, you know a shrine is really a box or something where something holy is put into in a physical sense. So thinking about that, our bodies really aren't something real special. Um, they get sick, we get older, we wear out. Our bodies sure aren't perfect, we know that. They're not flawless by any stretch. Yet the body of the Christian is a hallowed place by the association that is placed there. And that association being the Spirit of God residing there. Looking out across this audience, I see bodies, I see faces, familiar faces. I know who you are, most of you, all of you, I believe. Not quite all of you. But it gives me a complete different perspective when I think about the fact that I'm looking at, what, 120, 130 people in here? I'm looking at 120, 130, not just faces, not just bodies, but 120 or 130 shrines of the Spirit of God. I think we would do well to keep this perspective as we relate to each other as brothers and sisters. It would help us to not be so critical of each other and to listen closely when my brother has a different perspective than I have. And we might hang on to those words a little more if we think about the fact that that brother, that sister, is a, sh- a shrine of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is dwelling there. And we pay attention. We listen. We are accountable to each other. We're not only members of Christ, but by being members of Christ, we become members of each other as well. And so we are accountable to each other. Let's think about some of the responsibilities that we have of having the Spirit of God dwell within us. And I like, again, I'm thinking specifically of dwelling within our body. The responsibilities that we have towards this body because the Spirit of God is dwelling in us. And this goes right back to our first point where we keep our body in subjection. Um, We keep it holy. We keep it clean and pure from those sins of the flesh that Paul mentions. We mortify the flesh. We yield ourselves instruments of righteousness and servants of God. That's kind of the spiritual side of taking care of our bodies. We also have a physical side of taking care of our bodies. Responsibility. I think um, these things are very practical. I believe that that it's right for us to keep our bodies clean and looking presentable. It's good for us to get enough of sleep and to eat healthy food and not too much of it and things like gluttony and substance abuse and smoking and drunkenness. They really don't have any place in this dwelling place of the Spirit of God. They shouldn't be a part of it. I would... um, dare to say that there are some activities that we should be cautious about as Christians. 
Now, I would question whether bull riding and skydiving and crazy stunts and things like that, thrills, cheap thrills and stunts that endanger the body, whether that is uh, something that we should engage in as Christians who confess to have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. Suicide is never an option for the child of God. Paul says clearly, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. I think we need to remember that. Suicide is not an option for the child of God. It is always wrong. And I know there's cases where we leave it in the hands of God. I understand that. But I think we need to be clear that suicide is never an option for the child of God. I think we need to keep things in perspective. I want to do that as we think about taking care of our bodies and being neat and clean and eating healthy and all of those things. That can be overdone. We can have an obsession with our bodies. After all, these bodies, though they be the spirit and the tabernacle of God dwelling within us, they are, like Leroy said, going to go back to the dust and the dirt of the earth. They're going to decay and they're going to be gone before too long. And so we need to remember not to become obsessed by them. But we need to remember that the Spirit of God is dwelling here while we have them. I'd like to finish by reading a scripture from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses three and four. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. And I think that is sums it up very well for us who are followers of Jesus Christ and how we should relate to this body where the Spirit of God dwells. May God give us the wisdom to possess this vessel, to take ownership of it. God owns it. We know that it belongs to God, but we also are responsible for it. We need to possess it in sanctification and in honor to the glory of God. That's our call. May God help us to do that. Let's kneel for prayer.